What we hope to learn from Webb is more about our universe, the building blocks of how we got here, being more on the engineering side of things. Once this satellite goes up, our work is quote unquote done <laughs> because it's already assembled and in space and we rely on the scientists on the project to give us the data necessary. But I'm really interested to see what we get back to see a better understanding of our universe as a whole. This is NASA's Curious Universe. Our universe is a wild and wonderful place. I'm Patty Boyd, and in this podcast, NASA is your tour guide. NASA's soon-to-be-launched James Webb Space Telescope is such a fascinating mission that we are dedicating four episodes of Curious Universe to learning about its science, engineering, people, and launch. This is part two of our Webb miniseries, and we're talking about engineering. Once it's out in orbit around the sun, the James Webb Space Telescope is going to make incredible discoveries about planets, black holes, galaxies, and more. But how do you design a telescope strong enough to face the harsh environment of space and send back revolutionary information about our universe? Hi everyone, my name is Kenneth Harris. I am a satellite engineer on the James Webb Space Telescope. Engineers like Kenneth were tasked with a tricky job. Design and build a new telescope that will do all of the science we mentioned in our last episode. Sounds simple, right? Not quite. Scientists and engineers have spent years planning for the James Webb Space Telescope. After all, this telescope has a very important role to play. So what is it? The James Webb Space Telescope is basically a space observatory. It's the size of a tennis court and so much amazing technology is put into this thing that it's an amazing structure to, to see and to have worked on. Webb is a discovery powerhouse that's designed to look back in time and record information about the cosmos in infrared light. With 18 hexagonal mirrors coated in gold, the telescope is truly a spectacle to look at. But its alluring designs hold great meaning. Scientists will use Webb to unlock mysteries of our cosmos and learn more about the first galaxies to ever exist. Webb engineers were able to build off of some existing technology, including from previous telescopes. But many things needed to be outright invented for Webb. Some of those new inventions include specialized light detectors and new sunshield materials. A few of those inventions are already being used on Earth in eye surgery and other areas. And with a mission like Webb, everything is connected. Webb is made up of a number of subsystems. As an integration engineer, what you basically do is take these different subsystems and combine them into one to make sure things are functioning properly. I assemble things from Ikea, basically. You have this huge structure, you have this set of instructions, and you're putting it together. It's a lot more complicated than that, but essentially I'm a, I'm a builder. For small kids, I often relate it to Legos. For just like, hey, have you ever put these Lego sets together? It's just like that. You have this really, really complex structure. You've got this amazing team behind you. You've got this, these procedures that you put a ton of hours into and a ton of thought into, and you're really just on the floor, in the clean room, executing what's, what's on paper. 
A clean room is exactly what it sounds like. A room that's extremely sanitized. It's a special design laboratory where engineers tinker with the tools that will eventually go to space. NASA uses clean rooms to keep our spacecraft safe from earthly contaminants like dust or hair. The SISTIF, which is at Goddard, is one of the largest clean rooms in North America. It's this gigantic room, <laughs> this gigantic room that is kept at a certain air purification level that allows us to work on this extremely sensitive material that eventually goes into space. And we've realized that we need to work in clean room environments because of just how sensitive these materials are. Even dust on one of the mirrors would be bad news. So that's why we use a space like this. And a clean room needs to meet such specific conditions that you can't just waltz into one. You've got to wear a protective suit. It's what scientists and engineers call bunnying up. Before getting into a clean room, you put on a white suit, white cap, and white booties, which makes you look like, well, <laughs> a large white rabbit. This is a weird thing where you have the unclean side and then the clean side of the clean room. So you put on one boot on one side, you swing your leg over, put that boot onto the clean side while keeping your other leg in the air and then put the other boot on. And now both of your clean feet are on the clean room side and nothing's on the unsanitized side. The first time it took me about, about 15 minutes to do all that, understanding it. Then I got quick with it. It was probably five minutes after that. But that's just the staging area. And then depending on what clean room you're in, you might have a, a pre-clean before you get into clean room. It's kind of confusing. Between all the different pieces that make up the telescope, Webb has spent years in clean rooms around the world. But it didn't all come together in one room until the summer of 2019 in Redondo Beach, California. That's when engineers at Northrop Grumman Space Systems put the telescope part of Webb on top of the sun shield and connected all of the wires together to make it a single spacecraft. A few months after launch, Webb will need to do an intricate unfolding maneuver in order to actually be able to use those fancy tools we've talked about and send back information to scientists eagerly waiting on the ground. While in orbit, Webb will unfold its delicate five-layered sunshield. Webb will then deploy its primary mirror, which scientists will use to detect the faint light of faraway stars and galaxies. My name is Joe Sprofera. I kind of have a number of different titles, but the main thing I do is work on deployments and operations for the vehicle here at Space Park at Northrop Grumman. Just like a sports team practices before a big game, engineers run multiple tests here on Earth before the telescope is cleared to launch. This is crucial so that engineers can anticipate how Webb might perform under different circumstances and tackle any issues before the telescope even touches the launch pad. In 2020, Webb went through its final round of what engineers like Joe call environmental tests. That's because these tests mimic the space environment Webb will encounter after launch. Most recently, the telescope went through acoustic and vibration testing. During these tests, engineers shake and vibrate Webb to see how it will hold up during launch. 
When we come out of that testing, the main thing we look to do is check the state of health of the vehicle and do a bunch of tests. And that includes doing actual deployments of the physical system to show that the system survived the tests and is functioning as we would want it to. But engineers don't want to just test that Webb's deployments are working properly on Earth. They want to see how it might do in space. Since we can't copy the exact environment on the ground, we simulate the space conditions in a test environment as best we can. The way in which we simulate deploying in a zero gravity field is special hardware that we've designed that connects to the spacecraft. We use special equipment, a lot of times something like cables, pulleys, weights, and counterbalances that will help react the weight of the hardware on the ground so that it doesn't have to see those non-flight loads during a deployment test. The more interesting days involve running tests in the high bay. And deployment days are, I think, really the best engineering days. You're out there with a big team on the floor, with a lot of experts in design and analysis and conducting tests. We're out there as a big team running these deployments with all of the offload equipment hooked up to the flight hardware that we're monitoring and tracking as we command it through the flight electronics. You're actually seeing the vehicle move and reconfigure from a stowed state to a deployed state like it will following launch on orbit. That's kind of the culmination of everything that's been done for you know the last 20 years on this program where all the analysis and design work between the flight hardware and the mechanical ground support equipment that ties into it to let us do these tests comes together to execute this big event on the ground. Those are the fun, exciting days. Pulling off a mission like Webb involves a grand orchestration of engineers and scientists all across the globe. From assembling very large aspects of Webb, like the hexagonal mirrors, to crafting the smallest tools on the telescope, every person who is a part of the mission has a key role to play. And the instruments aboard Webb, which will collect valuable scientific information, represent a lot of careful engineering work and state-of-the-art technology. Let's take a closer look at one of those instruments. My name is René Doyon. I've been working on James Webb since 2001, the early days of JWST. And I'm the principal investigator of the FGS nearest instrument on board James Webb. I'm basically the, the PI of the uh, Canadian instrument. René is a professor at the University of Montreal, and he oversees one of several instruments on the observatory. The instrument he oversees will help Webb capture a lot of new information. One of its primary functions will be to help Webb detect light emitted by faraway worlds, called exoplanets. But that's not all. It's actually two instruments in one box. So let me talk about the FGS, which is not a scientific instrument, but it's a, a mission-critical system. Whenever Webb will point to the sky, any object, it picks up a, a little star and correct the vibration the telescope is experiencing. So this is very critical to keep the images very, very sharp. On the other side of the same box is called NIRIS, which stands for the Infrared Imager and Slitless Spectrograph, which is basically an infrared camera. 
and it has various observing modes to do uh, various science. And we're very much focused into two things, studying the early universe. So we have a mode where we can take spectra of all the sources in, in the field. We have also another important mode, which is very specialized, very unique to, to the web instrument. It is specialized to look at very bright objects. And what we want to do there is study exoplanet atmosphere, looking at terrestrial planets that, that may be habitable to hot Jupiters. Hot Jupiters are a type of exoplanet that are pretty common. They're gas giant planets located very close to their stars. FGS Nearest wasn't originally designed to look at exoplanets, but engineers adapted it. This Canadian instrument will look at all types of exoplanets and more. Though Webb is a large observatory, it's composed of many smaller instruments, each of which was carefully crafted by engineers. And that's the case with FGS Nearest. It's about the size of uh, big washing machines, mostly made of aluminum, it's got mirrors in there, very fancy mirrors that reflect lights and can take an image. And there's um, also a filter wheel, a dual wheel, which you know can select filters and also dispersing element prism to do all the various signs that we want to do. So much of engineering comes down to design, creating the right tool to get the job done. For Renee, working on web, and representing the Canadian Space Agency on this historic mission has been a rewarding experience. It's been very exciting. This telescope will just revolutionize our picture of the universe in many, many ways. In the early days, it was basically some kind of a dream, right, to, to do these uh, very first pictures. But, you know, we, we kept working on it, and uh, that's research. That's how research works, and you, you learn things, and there were some failures, and. It's not a straight line, it's a, it's a zigzag. Sometimes I go back backwards and then go forward again. And chance also is part of the game. That's how research works. It's very exciting. I'm very proud of it. The functionality of all of Webb's instruments will play a critical role. Webb's tools were engineered to do the best job possible. But there's beauty in these engineers' designs too. The inspiration of James Webb, I think, is far-reaching because you have the opportunity to combine science with, with art. There's an artistic feature of James Webb that can't go unnoticed. I would hope that individuals can see something that took so much time and that also is artistically creative and, and that so many minds have gone into, that individuals are inspired to continue to pursue whatever, you know, career path they're going after and kind of see how it blends into the world of space. For Kenneth, the inspiration of working on a project like Webb goes beyond the beauty and potential for discovery. Kenny grew up watching his father build important projects right here at NASA. As a black American, seeing someone who looked like him and who cared about the same things he did inspired Kenny to pursue his career path. My greatest role model in my life is my dad, and he's also an engineer at NASA. So I spent, even before I was an intern, even before I had an opportunity, I spent a lot of time at NASA in Building 5 at his desk after school. He picked me up from school, me and my sister are from school. He'd bring us back to the office, say, hey, I got some work to finish up. Your mom will come get you soon, or you know, you'll stay with me until we leave. And he was so dedicated to his work, but still made time for his family, still made time for 
everything else he needed to do. I had the fortunate opportunity to see that an engineer isn't just someone that is confined to a lab or confined to their desk, like they have a life, they're able to do these other things. And also saw an individual that looked like me in the field. And that was something that was really, really important to me. So many people have had a hand in bringing the James Webb Space Telescope to where it is now. And countless others will learn from this telescope for years to come. The international nature of the project, bringing people from different countries, backgrounds, experiences, and identities together, paves the way for the next generation of engineers and scientists to see themselves represented in the work and pursue whatever discoveries come next. This is a a longer mission to get off the ground, I'd say. It also kind of pushes the envelope of persistence and dedication and passion for the field. At heart, everyone's really interested in seeing what happens with this thing. Everyone's really has this childlike innocence when it comes to science and technology, and we have a passion for what we do. When scientists first dreamed of a more powerful space telescope, the successor to our Hubble Space Telescope, we knew what we wanted to accomplish, but we didn't yet know how to get there or what tools we'd need in order to make it happen. Now this behemoth telescope, the largest and most uniquely qualified telescope ever sent to space, will change the way we think about our place in the cosmos. When the telescope finally reaches its orbit and accomplishes all of the commissioning exercises, we'll finally begin to see our universe in a new light. We'll look at planets around other stars, stellar nurseries, and the first galaxies in a way we've never been able to do before. Scientists like me will start to sift through all the new and exciting data that this incredible machine is poised to discover. Like scientists everywhere on Earth, I can't wait to see what we find. And we are so thankful to the team of engineers around the world who turned the dream of Webb into an amazing reality. Next time on NASA's Curious Universe. When I was a child, I would actually gaze up at the stars at night and wish I could just grab one with my bare hands. If I could just reach far enough, And I certainly had nothing to lose. In the city apartment that I lived in with the police sirens going by, I would stare out of our little window at the stars and just lose myself in them, really. This is NASA's Curious Universe. This episode was written and produced by Katie Atkinson, Liz Landau, and Christina Dana. The Curious Universe team includes Maddie Arnold and Michaela Sosby with support from Elissa Fielding. Special thanks to Ryland Heggie, Amber Strawn, Paul Geithner, Eric Smith, Natasha Pinole, Elise Fisher, Laura Betts, and the James Webb Space Telescope team. If you liked this episode, please let us know by leaving us a review, tweeting about the show at NASA, and sharing with a friend. Still curious about NASA? You can send us questions about this episode or a previous one and we'll try to track down the answers. You can email a voice recording or send a written note to nasa-curiousuniverse at mail.nasa.gov. Go to nasa.gov curiousuniverse for more information.